Welcome to S2 Underground, a freelance intelligence agency fighting terrorism, fake news, and political tyranny around the world. I'm the trouble starter, punkin' instigator. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Underground. This week, we'll be discussing doctrine, specifically a new type of unit and a new type of warfare. As one might expect, with the war in Afghanistan going on longer than the newly recruited soldiers sent to fight in it have been alive, uh, there hasn't been much strategic change over the years. Uh, this strategically complex but tactically simple conflict deserves more than we can talk about here, so uh, in the future we'll have a special episode on the release of the Afghanistan Papers and what that means for U.S. policy in the Middle East as we go forward. Uh, but today, to start with, we'll be discussing a seemingly small change in warfare doctrine uh, within the fight in Afghanistan uh, that could have lasting impacts for the future of our military, not just in Afghanistan, but in near-peer fights as well. So the most recent years of the conflict in Afghanistan have seen the resurgence of traditional SOCOM tactics that, for the most part, were developed and honed during the war that we all love to hate, uh, the Vietnam War. Now, this may seem like a downfall, uh, as generally nothing good can ever be conceived of coming out of the Vietnam War, but seeing as Afghanistan is my generation's Vietnam, uh, the current warfare doctrine has actually had great success against one foe, ISIS Khorasan. Now, it's easy to get bogged down in the failing diplomacy, failing leadership, and in, in incomprehensible culture uh, that has led to the failure that is the war in Afghanistan. But before we get to the topic at hand, we have to give a not-so-brief rundown of the type of unit that actually worked, the ODA operations in eastern Afghanistan. So, for those that don't know, uh, here's a brief rundown of what that is and what that means. So, Operational Detachment Alpha, or ODA, is essentially the code word for the elite units uh, known as the Green Berets. Uh, it's a little bit more complex than that with their command structure, but for all intents and purposes, when you hear the term ODA, think Green Berets. So, being born out of necessity during the Vietnam War, uh, ODA elements have been the pioneers of guerrilla warfare, uh, operating deep behind enemy lines to teach and lead friendly locals to become an effective guerrilla force. Uh, sometimes not so affectionately referred to as the quote-unquote international drill instructors, Green Berets have been conducting operations in Afghanistan for years, uh, most recently under the Resolute Support Mission, uh, ORS. In the drawdown uh, after the conclusion of the ISAF mission, Afghanistan was split up much like Berlin during the Cold War. Uh, the Italians got the west, the U.S. Army got the east and southeast, uh, the Germans got the north, uh, the French still have control of the capital region for the most part, and the U.S. Army, Marines, and a few other NATO countries sort of share the south. Under these commands, uh, various ODA teams are embedded with Afghan units, which are referred to as partner forces. Now, uh, these guys are truly the cream of the crop. Uh, for Afghanistan, that is. Uh, when I was in Afghanistan in 2018 and 2019, uh, if you were an Afghan who wanted to join the elite special forces units that worked with ODA teams, 
the process was quite intense. Uh, so your entire family was essentially investigated. Um, at least five people already on the team had to vouch for you. And if it ever became known that you were secretly ISIS or helping ISIS uh, in any way, uh, not only were you arrested and put in jail for a very long time, but essentially your entire family was outcast. Uh, sometimes, unbeknownst to the Americans at the time, uh, your family was even beaten and killed uh, by the Afghan forces. So for all its questionable legalities uh, and brutality, uh, this system worked out pretty well. Um, the level of insider attacks were few and far between amongst the ODA teams I, I supported, um, that, which can't really be said for the type of unit we're getting ready to talk about here in a minute. Um, so ODA teams would spend roughly six months, uh, six to eight months in country, teaching the Afghan Special Forces uh, what we consider to be basic tactics, like uh, basic infantry tactics such as how to clear a village, uh, how to call in and use fire support in different ways, um, even basic things like medical procedures and supply routes, uh, and really anything a National Defense Force needs to try to weed out an insurgency. So uh, here's where this new warfare doctrine is being developed. The regular army wants to get in on the action. So over the past couple of years, uh, the Army has created a new type of unit to do essentially the same thing that the ODAs are doing, the Security Force Assistance Brigades, or SFAB, uh, as everyone calls them. Uh, and to hear, hear right from the horse's mouth what the mission of the SFAB is, uh, here's a quote uh, statement from Brigadier General Scott Jackson, the commander of the first SFAB. This is a specially trained organization, so our soldiers are going to do things that they have not done in their, their traditional conventional force organization. Our national defense strategy says you know, key to the success and, the, and security of the United States is, is strong partner networks. As we look at the role of the SFABs, uh, not just first, but all the rest of them in the future, you know, the, the SFABs are designed to operate outside of conflict, uh, and that means operating in peacetime, operating in permissive environments, operating in complex political, social, and cultural environments. And so, and with that in mind, as we look at our next potential mission set, we wanted to build an environment that brought all that together. So what does this actually look like? Uh, well, the SFAB units have a drastically smaller command structure compared to uh, a regular combat brigade, having roughly one-third of the amount of people overall that a normal uh, combat infantry brigade would have uh, within the U.S. Army. Uh, even the people within the unit, they're very top-heavy, uh, with usually very senior officers being in charge of relatively small groups of soldiers. Uh, they also require all enlisted to be an NCO, uh, even just to get into the unit. They don't have any privates uh, or specialists within the unit. They're all NCOs on the enlisted side of the house. Um, and sometimes, I say sometimes, uh, have slightly higher PT standards than the regular Army. But in, uh, I think, the uh, second and third SFAB, uh, this is being changed now since the entire Army is going to the new PT standard. Now, before I go on, I must explain that among the Special Forces community, even saying the word SFAB invokes a feeling of nausea. Uh, nobody likes the SFAB, at least not right now. Uh, the reason why is simple. Uh, so when SFAB got to Afghanistan, uh, the entire brigade essentially thought and acted like they are special forces, uh, simply because they have slightly higher standards and, and a 
very loose selection process to get in uh, when compared to conventional army units. But let it be known that as of you know early 2020, they are nowhere near uh, as high speed as the actual special operations community. So this sort of attitude and kind of similar mission set creates a little bit of animosity between you know the SFAB and you know actual ODA teams. So in other words, uh, the SFAB units are at the moment uh, a poor quality generic brand of the ODAs, or at least they try to be. Uh, and they know it for the most part. Now, this isn't to say that they aren't doing good work. I hate to, you know, just bash SFABs just like everybody else in the community um, and not talk about their contributions. So, since convoy operations right now in Afghanistan uh, are basically a death sentence for regular conventional forces, these SFAB units are actually getting outside the wire. Uh, and to do this, they're conducting what they call fly-to-advise missions. Uh, this is essentially where they, it's a half raid, a helicopter assault, assault raid, um, where they're going to hop on board a couple of Chinooks, fly out to a remote base, and usually a district headquarters, uh, which is the most secure. And they're going to meet with the Afghan National Army counterparts that they've been talking over, you know, over the phone with for a few months. Um, they're going to spend a couple hours on the ground. We're not talking multi-day operations. We're talking just a few hours at most uh, in order to build rapport. And then they leave. Um, now, as one might expect, this isn't nearly as effective as, you know, true special forces operations where the ODAs are embedded with their Afghan forces. They eat and sleep, you know, alongside their ANA counterparts. Um, so SFAB operations, for the moment, aren't nearly as effective as these true ODA operations. But, on the other hand, these, you know, SFAB is still a conventional unit. Uh, still a conventional uh, command structure, so they simply can't risk being outside the wire for any significant length of time. The insider threat is simply way too high. Uh, as we can see, we had, uh, when I was there, we actually had two SFAB members that were killed as part of an insider attack during one of these fly-to-advise missions. Uh, it was a very, very sad story. It affected everybody in country at the time because we had all been watching, and we all knew that the SFAB um, they're not ODA, so by assuming the same risk as an ODA, it was a little bit uh, contentious at the time. But regardless of these downfalls, uh, the SFAB and the SFAB command structure and this type of unit seems to be, you know, cemented within Army doctrine, at least for now. So the concept of SFAB units isn't the only drastic change to overall warfare doctrine that's appeared over the past couple of years. Another kind of actual warfare is emerging. The war underground. So subterranean warfare, uh, the concept of it, first appeared on the radar of national defense a couple of years ago when the DOD uh, recognized a gap in training and doctrine that needed to be filled. See, the vast majority of all military training exercises focuses on a near-peer conflict, uh, i.e. Uh, a war with Russia or China or another similar-type conventional conflict. Very rarely do large-scale military exercises and training evolutions ever focus on a fight against an insurgency. Granted, every unit that goes to, uh, to Afghanistan or Iraq or, or even Syria undergoes in-depth country-specific training exercises, 
Uh, but that's usually only pre-deployment training. It's not part of a normal standard NTC rotation. At least I haven't seen it be implemented so far in a widespread fashion. Uh, additionally, most warfare doctrine within the U.S. focuses on other fields of combat. We have training manuals for war in the jungle, war in the mountains, in the Arctic, and pretty much every other environment except underground. So, the same line of thinking that created the SVAB structure led to the composition of Training Circular TC 3-21.50, which in English is the Small Unit Training in Subterranean Environments Manual, or publication. Uh, this isn't a published training manual yet, but it's, it's just the, the start. So the U.S. Army has also spent $572 million to train 26 of its 31 combat brigades for subterranean operations. At least that's what they claimed uh, in Congress in 2018. Uh, also, the Joint Improvised Threat Defeat Organization, or JIDO, is also working with the Army Research and Development Center to develop a system to detect underground tunnels and facilities, which they've been working on for about 10 years, but they've suddenly started to... Uh, to uh, frontline those efforts. Now, one might say, well, if we're adding underground warfare to the already packed training schedule and NTC rotations of units, what about the near-peer fight? Are we are we going to be missing something because we're our training schedule is already filled up? Well, the an answer to that is simple. Underground training benefits units fighting in an insurgency and a near-peer fight should one occur. Turns out that ever since automatic weapons were created, soldiers have been going underground for cover. As far as the urban warfare and near-peer benefits to training or underground environments, here's what Paul Scher, a senior fellow at the Center for New American Security, had to say. You know, the really difficult thing for the military is we don't know what we're going to fight next. So the military has to be prepared for all of these kinds of environments, fighting in jungles and mountains and deserts. In urban terrain, it's certainly very critical for the military. The world is becoming increasingly urbanized. An increasing uh, proportion of the population is going to be living in cities and large cities. And the military's got to be prepared for those kinds of environments. So why does all of this matter? Why does it matter that the Army is creating new types of units to combat insurgencies more effectively and focusing on new types of warfare, which could go either way? Well, it's simply a very small aspect of what's next for the changing nature of not just our military, but for conflict itself. I mean, just think about it. The majority of U.S. military actions anywhere in the globe over the past 20 years has really been fighting an insurgency somewhere. From Yemen to Libya and Afghanistan to Iraq, the U.S. has taken a beating in the fight against insurgencies around the globe. Now, this isn't necessarily due to military intelligence, you know, military intelligence or military leadership being incompetent, so much as it is a reflection of the almost unbeatable nature of an insurgency itself. Now, we'll be getting into what makes an insurgency so hard to beat uh, in a later special episode, but suffice it to say, the creation of the SVAB and dumping half a billion dollars to train soldiers in underground warfare is a not-so-insignificant attempt to be more effective at finally finding a way to stamp out an insurgency.
Alright everyone, uh, that's all we've got for now. Uh, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe to this podcast on whatever medium you're listening to us on. And make sure to follow us on Instagram for real-time intelligence updates throughout the week. Uh, also, if you have any questions or comments, or want to discuss the natures of insurgencies and the new creation of the SFABs uh, in any great detail, feel free to drop us a line at s2undergroundactual at gmail.com. And if you feel like contributing monetarily to the underground, support us on Patreon. These contributions help us buy better recording equipment, uh, hosting and ad space, and help us expand the S2 Underground project. And as a thanks for your support on Patreon, you'll have advanced access to all of our episodes, as well as more features to come in the future. And always remember, fight in the shade. S2 Actual Out.